had to laugh when I walked in this morning because over here to my right is Annie Householder. And Annie Householder's mother is one of my dearest and closest friends, as well as Kelly Gittemeyer out in the audience. And um, Annie will relate to some of the stories I'm going to tell today because she was in the thick of it, and she saw the Bubbas, as we called them, and, and everybody says I ought to write a book called Raising the Bubbas because that's what they were named. Um, I want to show you a picture of myself and four of the guys. I was pregnant with Chase at your age. And they're all two and a half to 18 months apart. So they were little, literal stair steps. Christy, here's your husband at about five and a half. Christy, my daughter-in-law, is out in the audience. And there is Caleb. Notice the helmet of hair because I guess I thought that was adorable at the time. He looks really dumb now. Um, <laughs> he really is embarrassed. Um, and there's Josh and there's Jordan and there's Donovan. And they were all about two and a half years apart. Here we are today. This is taken at Christmas. My family of five little boys is now a family of eight. Three of them are married. And I will say this shows the demonstration of the wonderfulness of how I raised them because they married the most wonderful girls on the face of the earth. And Donovan always refers to his wife as his better half, and I will have to say I agree. Um, I also have in this picture three beautiful granddaughters. Can you see the irony in that? God gave me five sons, and I'm now having all granddaughters. In fact, Christy will have her our fourth little granddaughter, Isabel, in April. So I'm learning a whole new learning curve, and that is... Is raising girls, um, and it is a lot different than raising boys. Um, I'm kind of, um, people say, gosh, did you plan a big family? And I'll say, no. I was never known for my organizational skills, and anybody that knows you will tell you that. In fact, I got an email from Holly Barnett at the very beginning of the week, and she said, um, if you want to do a PowerPoint presentation or a um, handout or something really fancy, you know, just let us know, and I'll have all the equipment. And I told that to one of my friends, and they said, God, do they know you? And I, I mean, I can barely do an email, and I hardly ever text. And if I want to get a hold of my boys, I call them, and, and they know that. And so I am not and never have been known for my organization or for any real skill set that I had. I wasn't... Um, particularly talented in anything. I mean, I, I mean that truthfully. Um, one of my guys that I dated in college said, gee, Polly, um, after being with me a while, he said, I kind of worry about you. I think you might lose one of your children. And, and I said, nah. Well, in fact, there was more than once that I left my children behind. On an occasion, on my, one of my child's, I think it was Chase's birth, no, not Chase's, I think it was Josh's birthday, and we had it at Chuck E. Cheese's. And Chuck E. Cheese's at that time was a little pizza place out on Midway Road. Well, now I live in Lake Highlands. And so I was getting them ready to parties at 3 o'clock, and I packed them all in the car and drove out to Chuck E. Cheese's and unloaded and realized there were only four. And I had left the baby in the crib back home taking his nap. And, it, I mean, I said, hold the party. I'm going way back, and, and I grabbed the baby and came on. And that wasn't the first time one of them got lost. And I'd have friends call me and say, you left Jordan or you left Chase when you took them all home. And I'd say, oh, I'm so sorry. So my um, kids are kind of scattered all over the place. And so, um, you know, in planning my two but having my five, 
um, shows another about my organizational skills. My husband would always say, you're pregnant again? How did this happen? In fact, the fifth time I was afraid to tell him because I just thought he's going to faint. He had told me four was our limit. So, um, but you know, God knows what he is doing. And having a lot of little boys, I found my calling. I have to tear up. I love to be a mom. I found it to be the most absolutely fun thing I have ever done in my life. And there is nobody, even to this day, I would rather spend my time with than my five guys. Um, When I kind of embraced the idea of being a mother, I really took it on with everything that I had. And I read every book, listened to every tape, went to every conference, and really set about how to be a good mom. Didn't necessarily have the best role model, so I kind of had to educate it myself. And so I became really, really convicted that I wanted my children, number one, to know the Lord and to love Him. And I will say all five do. Number two, I wanted to equip them with tools that they could take into the future to serve their faith and live well and fight the good fight. So, lest you think, I think any time you enter into a conversation or you hear a talk on childbearing, the guilt can come. And, um, the, you know, the feeling like, gosh, I'm not doing enough, or I'm not doing well, or I'm not able to stay home, or whatever. And that's not what I'm here for today. I don't want to guilt anybody. And, in fact, I want you to see me, and truly, y'all, I am a product of grace. Despite my mistakes, God worked through me. And um, I'm still a product of grace. And you are, too. And give yourself grace as you raise these little ones. I'll tell you a few stories um, about raising my kids um, to show you just, you know, I did it with great enthusiasm. And my boys would tell you that. And um, there was one time um, I became convicted in fifth grade that Donovan shouldn't say a poem. It was at a little private school. I look back now, these things seem hilarious, and I can't believe I did them. But I thought it had some um, satanic concept or something anyway. So we protested. And I remember him getting up that day and him saying, Mom, why am I going to school today? I said, Honey, you're protesting. And he said, What am I protesting? (laughs) I said, Well, and I told him, you know, about this poem. It's so silly now. But anyway, I did. And um, I said, And don't worry, you're going to get a zero. But it's okay. Mommy says that's okay. And he was like, Less than pleased because he was a good little student. Um, One time I decided that we would pick it um, down at City Hall. And boy, I packed my three-year-old, my four-year-old, I set little picket signs in their pants, and they marched along. What, what are we doing, Mommy? Honey, we're picketing. And lo and behold, we ended up on the 5 o'clock news. And they were, like, very excited, but they never quite understood why they did it to begin with. Um, so I did some really crazy things. I, this last story I have to tell you because it's kind of so funny. I was very careful about what they saw on TV or movies or whatever. But one day, a good friend of mine planned an excursion, and we were going to go see the movie Dick Tracy. And they were so excited because we didn't go to the movies a whole lot. And um, I saw a picture and saw Madonna had a low-cut dress. And, y'all, I just thought my boy shouldn't be exposed to a woman with a low-cut dress. In all seriousness, this is just hysterical. I look back and can't believe it. So they were so disappointed, and they thought I was being ridiculous, as usual. And so the friend and I found an alternative movie. 
it's called Firebirds. And it looked good as about airplanes or something. It seemed pretty tame. And so we went, and lo and behold, in the middle of it, they had a sex scene. And um, I ran down there and was covering their little eyes. And to this day, they laugh about that. They said, Mom, we ended up seeing Dick Tracy, and it was one of their favorite movies. Um, and so I did some crazy things, and, and, and they I wish they could be here to tell you some of the stories. And, and they get together, and they laugh and make fun of me all the time. So um, anyway, that being said, I'm going to start. Aristotle once said that character cannot be taught. It is caught by those around them. And you know, I I have found that to be true. Um, We do teach, we do, but it is very important that you live what you teach. When my youngest son was applying to college, he applied to one of the universities my other two had gone to, and in that application there was, who is the person who influences you most? My first son had written about a high school coach and a mentor he had had in high school. Uh, My second son wrote about his older brother. But my third son, on my birthday, came down and handed me his essay. And he said in that essay, I have been influenced by many people in my family. And he went through his father and his brothers. His second paragraph said, but the person who has influenced me most is my mother. Now, if any of you knew my youngest, he is, was my strongest will. He is a six foot, one and a half, 225 pound football player at a university. He ended almost every sentence and every conversation with me, that is ridiculous, or you are being ridiculous. And um, we butted heads more times than I can count, and he is a challenge, and was a challenge, still is. But. I read that essay and I thought, wow, there must have been some pivotal moment or, you know, some great thing I said or taught him. And, you know, it was none of that. It was none of that. It was things that he had observed through the years. One of which, um, when his older brother went to war and... uh, he was in Iraq. He did uh, three tours. His second tour, he was in Ramadi, and he was in combat almost every day. It happened to be Chase's senior year in high school. And that's a big year for a young man. And I did not want Chase to feel like, because his brother was doing this, that he was going to be slighted in any way. And so I asked God, I said, Lord, just, you know, I'm going to be present for him because he's got a big year. And Chase said, I remember you getting up every day in his essay, and you were joyful. And I knew what my brother was going through. And he said, and I remember one night I came down to get some water. And at 2 o'clock in the morning I went and saw a light in the living room. And I saw you on your knees praying for my brother. And I knew that wasn't the first night you were down there. I knew probably if I knew you, you were down there every night at 2 o'clock praying for my brother. And he said, but that never affected my life with you. And it's just those things that I think he remembers. And that's a good thing. So, so it is caught in lots and lots of ways. And I can't emphasize that enough. Um, the first thing I want to lay a groundwork for, what, how do you teach your children? What is necessary for there to be in a home? I'm going to give you Proverbs 15, 16, and 17. And I think you've had a talk on this, so I'm just going to briefly talk about it. Better a little with fear in the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. You say, well, that's kind of a strange verse. The object of this verse is to say, 
For children to learn, there has to be peace in the home. It is so important, and and I cannot stress this enough. I remember one time, uh, I didn't always follow through with this. One time my children were clamoring for my attention. I said, hold that thought. Mommy's threatening Daddy. And... Um, <laughs> And so, you know, we, we do do that, and, and we get mad. But and, and it's good for children to see parents resolve conflict. That, that's not a bad thing. But when you see things heating up, take it somewhere else. Do not fight in front of your children. Um, there is a difference between resolving conflict and fighting. And I tell you, that really will affect a child, and it is very hard for them to absorb anything if there is not peace in your home. So I will lay that down as your groundwork. Let's go to Deuteronomy 6, 8, and 9. It is on your handout, and I'd like you to look at it for a minute. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hand and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames, your houses, and your gates. Now, in the Old Testament, that was literal. They literally wore something on their foreheads with the commandments on them. They literally had symbols on their hands and they wrote them on their door frames. So that was true. But there are two observations I want to make about this, or really three. The first is they were impressed first where? Upon your heart. You have to be very convinced, convicted, and challenged by what you want to pass along. If you're trying to build in your children character, you have to just be convinced that this is important and that you will hold firm. You will not move when the battle ensues. The second, in an age of information, we tend to want to pass information to our children. And that is not what this is saying. They're saying that this is life-oriented. And by that I mean it is taught in the woof and fabric of your everyday life. What does that take as a mom to do this? It takes time. And you guys, I've noticed y'all's generation is very busy. Nothing wrong with being very busy. But I want you to ask yourself a question. In your busyness, in your... um, Whatever activities you choose to do, whether it's Bible study, a a job, whatever. At the end of the day, are your children receiving a fractured version of who you are? Are they getting a watered-down version of their mom? I became very convicted of this. Um, I just felt like sometimes I was leaving my kids to do very good things. I was in the junior league and Bible study and this and that. But, But I found myself kind of pushing them aside. And I heard a talk once similar to this, and I became very convicted that my kids needed me in the years one to five, especially. These are critical years. These are your foundational years. And I made up my mind that I was going to be with my boys. And so I did. I resigned from everything. And people will say I just faded out of the out of the scene and I did but that was okay because I had a lot of fun they say to raise a good puppy that will never leave you you put it in your pocket and you take it everywhere you go and when it grows up it will never leave your side if we raise a puppy that way that says something about you raise your child how you raise your child very similar ladies look at your time where are you spending it these little people deserve your face They deserve the best you can give them. 
So really stop, think, where do I spend my time and is it a good investment? Um, the second thing I would say is um, look at their time. Um, if you're going to teach, you got to say, where, is, where am I putting them? What am I scheduling them in? Um, nowadays, it's very popular for all these ch- kids to, starting at you know, two, three, four, get involved in school. And um, so they go to these little programs. And I, I sent mine to Mother's Day out one day a week as, when they were too young. And that was fine. I'd say after that, I probably would say, keep them with you. Um, so just kind of think about the activities and is it ne- really necessary? I personally, and this was my own choice, I was kind of radical at the time. No one else did it, but that was okay because I wanted to do it. I didn't send my boys to any kind of preschool, kindergarten. They didn't set foot in a schoolroom setting until most of them were seven. Um, there were two that went at six. Um, and that was just my own personal conviction because I did want the time. And um, it saved a lot of money. We didn't pay for anything. And um, I set about to teach them. And, and, and we had a lot of fun. And most of the teaching and transferring values took place in just an everyday setting. And it was when we walked along the way and when we did this or that. And um, it was amazing. I, I would look back on those days, and it was some of the fun time, most fun I have ever had with my children. And they would tell you it was a ball. I mean, they look back and they think it was so, learning to read, they say, was fun. I mean, it was just, it was, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, so when they do start school, starting at age six, someone gave me this statistic, and I think it's very profound. And this is why I say these first five years are very foundational. By the time they're six, the average first grader gets out of school at 3.30. If you have them in one or two activities... Then they get home about five, or you know, you're rushing around trying to carpool. I know I was. Um, then there's dinner and there's bath. So by the time six, you have literally lost 75 to 80 percent of your training time. There's about an hour and a half to two hours of the day left for you to do your job. That's not a lot. So that's why, for me, I looked at these first years as pivotal, and it was kind of my main time to invest in them. But that doesn't mean it's for everybody. It was just my own personal conviction. But my point being, time is of the essence, and these are great years. Um, The Lord says in Proverbs, Lord, teach me to number my days. This is one of my basic verses, so that at the end of them, I may present to you a heart of wisdom. Ladies, it will take great wisdom to fight the culture to raise this generation that you are facing. As parents, we need, I put this down as a quote, we need to be wise enough to realize it is not education, accomplishments, material possessions, health or the significance or self-esteem. It is character that will sustain a child, an adult, and a nation. This country is in dire need of young people with character. So, I want to pick Compare and contrast, and then I will give you some tools. When America, her first 150 years, I didn't know this until I did some background on character. The whole point of sermons, books, essays, our leader were becoming and written about becoming people of character. Can you believe that? Everything you would hear from the sermon, from the mount to, to newspaper articles was how do we become people of character? Abraham 
Benjamin Franklin wrote a whole book on it. Um, it was just the fabric of our country. World War II came. And after that became a dramatic shift. Interesting caveat here. With the usher in of World War II became the need for preschool, kindergarten, and early age education because mothers left to help with the war effort and they helped in the factories. So before that, kids were at home. Um, after that, it shifted. New things came out and articles, essays, sermons began to being preached about having things your way. The emphasis on being happy. Oh my gosh, do we hear that all the time? Being the person you want to be. Self-esteem, the search for significance. Words like duty, self-sacrifice, integrity, and courage became second-tier values. In fact, you hardly even hear those things talked about today. Many people can't even define them. You ask what duty is, and they go, well, I don't know. Duties doing what is right even when you think it will be a great sacrifice to yourself that is duty integrity what is integrity integrity doing the bible says integrity is following your word and swearing to it even unto your own heart you keep your word so these things are not things that are emphasized in fact i went into a secular bookstore and a christian bookstore looking for books on these topics do you know i found one one Nothing with the word character even in it. One in a Christian bookstore and hardly any in a secular bookstore. But I found many on self-esteem, how to have a happy child, the search for significance, and um, you can be anything you want to be. They say that this current generation is the most self-centered that America has ever produced. And ladies, you do have a drawer a very big challenge on your hand because you, I'm looking here and you are raising the next generation um, I want to stop here I say happiness is not to be your main goal and I hear it all the time I hear some of my friends or kids go off to college and they may do all kinds of immoral things but by golly they're happy and therefore mommy's happy and these are Christian parents and happiness is just not our goal for our kids I'll never forget my oldest, uh, when he got out of elementary school, my husband and I decided that um, we needed to think about his next step in education. Well, I just assumed he would go to the public school because that's what I wanted. My, my, my friends were going. Um, I just couldn't see anything else. Well, my husband felt differently. He wanted him to go to a private school. He had gone to one. I had not. And we began to clash. And um, we couldn't afford some of the private schools, but we found one, or he found one, I should say, out in Irving. Now, I live in Lake Highlands, Irving, Lake Highlands, Irving. This school was by Texas football, you know, Cowboy Stadium back then. It was a 45-minute drive one way, and I had a baby, a two-year-old. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. And he said, well, just go look at it. And I, I said, okay. I looked at it, hated it. I thought, this is the strangest place I've ever seen. There are all these monks driving around, you know, walking around. I didn't know a person. It was uh, just a strange little school. And I came back and I said, I am not putting my child in that school. And he's going to public school. My husband said, oh, no, he's not. And so I'm going to do 
tell you right now, I did exactly what I'm telling you not to do. I fought him tooth and nail. So much so, by the third day of our discussion, I slept in the guest bedroom. And I said, I'll show him. And so that night he went to bed and I wasn't there. So he comes traipsing into my room. Honey, what you doing? I said, I'm protesting. He is, he is not going to that school. Okay. Patted my leg and walked out. Didn't it bother him one bit that I was there. I have an amazing husband, by the way. Next night, he came in. I'm still in that guest bedroom. I'm still not budging. You still here? Yep. He's not going to that school. He, he sat down on that bed, and in his calm manner that he has, he said, Sweetie, God says that we are trying to work together and, and agree on as many things as he can. We can't. But at the end of the day, I'm making this call, and he's going. Okay? Well, I may be stubborn, but I'm not stupid. And I know when I've lost. And so the next day, I signed him up. And off we went. Well, God was good. And somehow we did find ways out there. But seventh grade came and went. And Donovan hated it. I mean, we're not talking. He came home every day. I miss my friends. I'm so unhappy. And being his mother. Well, honey, you can just go back to that public school. So my husband, very wisely didn't give in and so they three came and he went back same battle I hate it I'm not happy I mean and when I say he hated it he hated it by the end of that year I said to my husband I said honey he is not happy I said Donovan go talk to your father Donovan came back and to this day he still remembers that conversation because it really impacted him you see his father had a conviction he knew his child the Bible says, train up a child in the way that you should go, and in the end, he will not leave it. That's not talking about, he may go out and be wild, and then he'll come back. It's talking about training up your child and knowing him. Well, Donovan was very bright. God had given him a good mind, and Donnie felt like he was going to put him in a place that would sharpen that skill that he had. And so he said to Donovan, Donovan's son, now he's in eighth grade now, I'm not parenting you so you could be happy. I'm raising you to become the man that God called you to be, to figure out your place in life and to go out and do it. And so therefore, I feel like this is the best place for you. You are very bright, and I want you to use to learn that gift and use it well for the good of others. And I feel like this is the best place for you. Well, he heard that, and he went back. And by the time he was a sophomore, he became a very good football player and began to be recruited by some coaches at Lake Collins. And at that point, we felt like he'd had a good foundation. And he met with the coaches over that summer of his sophomore year and decided he would go to Lake Collins High School. And believe it or not, I was very sad because I had grown to love what that school embodied. In August, he came out of his room and he said, Mom, I'm going back to Cistercian. Can you call Father Peter? And I could have fallen over. But he, too, had come to appreciate what it had to offer. So that being said, I will say it is hard sometimes to watch your child be unhappy. It really is. It, it is a mother. It just tears at your heart. The second thing I will say is that your husband's lady sometimes will have a great vision for your family that you somehow will not have. We are wonderful at keeping our hand on the heart of our home. That's our job. There are many times I'd say, Donnie, come home. Honey, you need to go talk to him because he's hurting here. Really? Okay. Because he wasn't aware. I helped him do those things. But our husbands 
are the head of that boat and they're steering it and they can see more sometimes than we can when we're back in the back kind of tending things ladies do not do what I do and when your husband makes a decision that he feels in his heart is right go with it because some husbands are not like my husband and may give in and say it's just not worth that battle I'm not going to fight her every time she wants to do something and so you may lose out on a tremendous blessing for your child if you do so. So my challenge to you is, you know, discuss it. Like we said, conflict about it, but do it well. At the end of the day, if your husband still feels this is the way in which he wants to take his family, then go with it and trust God. If you feel like it's not, then pray. Wallace Simpson, how many have ever heard the King's Speech? or seen it good movie well in it there are two characters one is the Duke of Windsor and the woman he fell in love with which is Wallace Simpson Wallace Simpson was known for her tremendous wit and her discernment and they came to America in the 1940s and they toured and someone interviewed her quickly thereafter and they said Were you, did you like America and she said absolutely loved it and there's one thing that impressed me more than anything else and they said what she said how well the parents mind their children and I thought people laughed but there's a lot of truth in that especially in today's culture Colossians 3.20 says children obey your parents for this is pleasing unto the Lord and enter our first character quality when children are born they learn the first thing when they come into the world and that is boundaries they learn when to eat and when to sleep and not everything is done on their time frame or their timetable so when they're babies and infants, they begin to learn a schedule. <gasps> I'm so sorry. I forgot to turn my phone. <laughs> Probably my friends. Um, so, uh, excuse me. Um, anyway, so I will show you what I feel like is obedience will be the second thing I will talk about. It. And I feel like that is my that was my first little building blocks. And that was their first verse. And a one and a half year old, before you can do any charts, before you can do any book reading, what you will do is teach them obedience. That one and a half emerges, don't they? They're two. And by golly, they want to cross that street. They want to touch that stuff. They want to do this or that. And you say, no, Sally, we're not going to do that. And there emerges your first battle. Does it not? How many have experienced that? Yeah? So, so, do you know that a child is most malleable like soft clay the first three years? After that, if they haven't learned this first thing, it is harder to teach them. Their hearts, little hearts after three, believe it or not, begin to harden. And that is a psychological statistic. And you have to turn them up the heat to teach it. So it's a lot easier to watch them cry at two than it is after three, four, and five. And that, I mean, this is a constant thing, but that they need to get the concept is I need to obey because if I don't, something happens. Now, children can't understand the idea of repentance. Even up to five, they cannot. They really don't even have a conscience. So when this battle begins, you need to see it in the big picture. You know what it says? What it says is when there's a battle, guess who needs to win? Every single time. Who? Mom and Dad. Kids may not understand 
repentance. They may not understand sorrow, but they'll understand who wins. And mommy and daddy need to win. And they need to win it decisively. Do not negotiate with them. I picked my battles. I didn't spank my children a lot. But I did make hard and fast rules. And when they didn't do it, they were spanked. Proverbs, I'm going to write, give you some verses. 13.24, Proverbs. Proverbs 19.13, Proverbs 22.15. Those are just some verses on discipline. You can go back later and um, read them. But the importance, and this is where I want you to pay attention. The importance of when a child says and sees mommy wins, do you know that lays the foundation for conscience? You didn't know it was that important, did you? But when they understand right and wrong, begins to get the concept right and wrong, that is when a child begins to form a conscience. When a child has a conscience, and that is forming, he begins to learn what is right and what is wrong, and that later leads to the ability to feel repentance. So that is why it is so significant that when you have a battle, and you've chosen it because you've laid down whatever rule you have, you win it. As you get into the later years, it becomes even more important. Look at it this way. Children, until they leave for college, and even then so, will push against you with all their might, some more than others. I had some, not so much, Chase uh, didn't because he said he had watched his older brother suffer through loss of car senior year, taking away their hunting and all the things that they had gone through, and he decided it just wasn't worth it. So when a child pushes, those parents are like a wall, and they don't move. And what that does is that communicates to the child, mommy and daddy mean what they say, and in turn, that makes a secure child. If that wall is always moving or shifting, or you're always kind of, I don't know, what should I do? It makes them insecure. Children will have a million friends in their lifetime. They will only have two parents. You are not their friend. You are their parent. Please remember that. It makes it all, your job a lot easier. Later on, you can become a friend. As you release them into the world, they get married. Hopefully, you've sustained the relationship. And I will honestly say, if you've got boys, love their wife. Because that is the main way you'll communicate with them. <laughs> um, I told uh, one of my friends the other day, I said, uh, they said, gosh, is it hard when your boys get married? I said, no. I was so happy to hand Donovan off. He, I said, when he wanted to marry Christy, I said, you go, boy. He said, do you want me to wait? No, 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 no. You, you, you marry her as quick as you can. And he did. He was 23 years old. So, but I will say there's only room for one woman in a man's life. And it's not his mother. It's his wife. And so you do have to step aside. And it's a great privilege if you love their wives. And I do. I love every one of them. Um, always remember that discipline. Some of us feel so bad. And there were times I would just, I would make mistakes. And I want to put a caveat here. Please write this down. There is a difference between willful disobedience and childish behavior. That is a very, very hard thing to distinguish. I sometimes would have to ask forgiveness because they would do something. And I think, my gosh, they're being a three-year-old. I had a great example of this week. A friend told me about the story of her little girl. He said they went out for dinner and came home and she had colored their sofa. 
and boy, she spanked her, and she said in retrospect, I had never told her not to color that sofa. Colors were for coloring. She was a little three-year-old. So be very careful. I have watched new parents, especially with their first. They say your first is like tissue paper. You make all your mistakes and you just need to throw them away. Um, and in some respects, because you're so hard on them. I mean, poor little Donovan. I just, you know, toe that line. You know. So despite me, I think he turned out pretty well. Um, but there is. Um, really stop and think before you discipline. Is this just them being a two-year-old? Or is this willful disobedience? One is to be punished. The other is to just be easygoing. So that kind of helps, I think, sometimes. Um, let me say this, too. When you're teaching these things, I will honestly say by the time a child is six, they could begin to note something in their mind. Does mommy do what she says. Does mommy live what she says? She's asking me to obey. I have to obey her. I have to obey daddy. Does mommy treat daddy with respect? Does mommy do the things she's supposed to do? Does mommy kind of get off the phone and lie about it? Does mommy not keep an appointment because she just doesn't feel like it? You know, they'll say in their minds, boy, is this how we're going to play it? Is this what we're going to do? So what will be noted in their mind, and believe me, this is so true, believed but not lived. A children will note that in his mind. Write that down. Believed but not lived. Because you see, the example is what is embossed on their mind. They have a hard time throwing that off. I've seen more kids walk out the door when they go to college and just ditch everything their parents had spent 18 years because they didn't see a connection between what they were taught and what was lived. I've seen those kids whose parents made mistakes, absolutely. I made more mistakes than I can count. And so that's what I said. My kids are a product of grace. But we tried our best. When they were little, starting at about four or five... These came from Chrissy. I gave this to her. And I, I don't even know where you can get these anymore. But you can make your own. I started the week with a character quality. And it would be, let's say, honor. And this would be a picture. And we'd talk about it. And on the back was a verse that we wrote out. And they learned it. And we worked on it. And we'd read the little story. And it was pretty simple. And I made a little chart. And the little chart would say honor with their Bible verse. And there would be seven little boxes with every day of the week and what we would do we would learn our little character quality and we would talk about um, gosh you know during the day uh, did you honor your brother well no okay well let's talk about what that looks like and at the end of the day when we would sit down to the table we would talk about how did mommy honor today well I honored daddy when he did this daddy did you show honor and everybody in the family we parents grandparents everybody needs to be informed about what we're working on this week and, and so we would talk about it and then little Chase or Josh or one of the boys would be asked okay now can you tell me did you honor anyone today did you do this and if they did they got a little check and oh they love their little checks and they would work very hard for them and at the end of the day I had a little jar and they got to pick out a little prize and it was fun and they cut, so they enjoyed it it's kind of a game we did promptness and that was hard for me because we were always late to carpool and they missed more kindergarten or first grade or whatever they were in um, because I would talk 
Um, so that was kind of hard. There again, disconnect. Um, courtesy. I mean, these are just very basic things, but they're important because they form their foundation. And later we got into more harder qualities like integrity self-sacrifice and, and some of those were more abstract and so they would take a little longer and we would spend two weeks and they really um, you know by the time they were seven we're still doing this and we're still talking about it because you know Chase is coming up on the rear or Josh or Jordan and so they're still doing it. and so we'd sit down and by now the eight-year-old's going rolling his eyes and like do we really have to do this don't underestimate the value of what you're doing Sometimes I would just be tempted to blow it off. I would think, oh, this is stupid. I mean, you, you could ask my voice, hey, would, no, we don't want to do that again. I felt like I was leading the troops of Israel. You know, I mean, you know, they just wanted to go back. You know, they just didn't want to do any of this. It was, they were stubborn and gripey and complaining. And, and, but I'm pretty stubborn, and so I held them to it, and we kept doing it. And uh, when they got older... We would, this is a book I had, you can see it's very worn, a child's book of character building. I don't even know where you can get these things anymore. And so then we kind of ratcheted up and we would talk about order and the same idea but with a little more complicated story. And if I could correlate the picture, and, and we did this. And so, I mean, it was just a constant theme in our in our. Uh, house. But, but these are not the only things. There doesn't always have to be formal things. I read lots of books to my kids. Loved books. The first one we started with was Little Children's Pilgrim's Progress. And little Christian is a fascinating young man. And he makes this journey being a Christian through his life. The little version, and I would encourage anybody to get it, is great because it's about a five-year-old's, four-year-old's can understand it. And it great opportunity. Boy, he was brave. Boy, he persevered. Lots of things you can learn. I read him biographies. This is I bought a series by um, Ingrid Edgar. Blah, 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 can't even read the name. French. Never did learn French. And it was just a picture book. But Pocahontas was a very inventive young woman. She was very courageous. She had a voice, which I think is very important for young women to learn. And she impacted the world in which she lived. And we talked about that, how she did it. And there were three when we started this and we read constantly and so I would say one of the main things I did I was very intentional I really looked at the time I had what we did and what we do had purpose not always but most of the time I had an idea in mind most of the time you try to make it fun I mean they loved their books they loved reading one of the best series I read was Little House on the Prairie it is a wonderful series, and I learned more from that than they did. I learned that, you know, parents, children fit into the world. The world did not revolve around children. And that was a great lesson for me. When I read those, I thought, wow. So some of the main qualities that came up and I really focused on was the first one was faith. Y'all, faith is the foundation. Who is it that gives us the courage who gives us the conviction to have integrity? Who um, gives us that wanting and desiring to do the right thing? It is the Lord. And a child needs to know who God is. And they need to know how God reveals himself. 
And I'm a Christian, and I believe that that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if any of you guys have not made that decision or have any questions, there are some mentor moms in the back that I'm sure would love to meet with you and explain that to you. But for me, faith is the most important gift you can give your child. When they walk out the door and they are on their way, you want to know that they are you are transferring their hand from yours into God's hand. And that is the best thing you can get them. They need to see mommy and daddy pray together. They need to see that when you learn a Bible, you learn it too. One thing I wish I had do, and I will, in retrospect, I will tell you, when I wish I had thought more about these character qualities as I taught them and said, Polly, you're learning, teaching them integrity. And, and looked at my day and thought, do I have integrity? When I talked about faith, was mine, was I really working to grow in my relationship with God? Did I get up every day and spend time with Him? So I wish I had spent more time evaluating my own life as I did this with them. So write these down. I mean, if you want, you can come up with your own list. But I centered in on faith, obedience, integrity, courage, love and compassion for others, and God. Humility, self-sacrifice, duty, and honor. Um, Those things are very important. Also, as your little children come across challenges, great way to weave in. Allie, my little granddaughter, my oldest, is now five. And she is, I will say this, the most beautiful, wonderful little five-year-old girl I have ever known. And I am crazy about her. And her parents and her doing a wonderful job. She does these character qualities and her chart is on the refrigerator. It's very cute. And she and I have taken about, I love to be outside. And I love to do physical things. And in her garage is her little pink bike with her pink bike helmet. And it's the funniest thing I've ever seen because I had boys and it's just all very novel. And so I say, Allie, let's get your bike out. Well, I don't, she's not wild about that bike. And so first time we got on it, her parents, I was babysitting or something. And so I said, let's go. And I had my dog and, you know, we're going to go. And so off I went. And, you know, Allie's way back here. And there's one pedal. Two, and I'm thinking, okay, I said, Allie, this is not riding your bike. You know, honey, this is, what are you doing? Well, and she's very cautious. You know, she had the helmet on. And the, so I said, Allie, we're going to need to pick it up. So I put my hand behind her. You know, I'm raising boys here. And she's like, no. I said, yeah, you can do it. You can do it. So we proceed the next couple of times. We ride her bike. And she gets pretty fast. Last time I did it with her, I, I couldn't even keep up. I was huffing and puffing. And it was, it was a disaster. It was so funny. And we made a goal. That when she could go at a pretty good clip, I'd take her down to the bike trail. And so she worked at that. And so two weeks ago, she and I went down to the bike trail. And she, boy, I was dying because she was really going fast. But she has these training wheels on the bike. And so at the end of that journey, I stopped and I said, you know, Allie, you got to take those training wheels off sometime. I know, but I need a few more days. Of course, she's been saying this for about a month now. And I said, you're right, okay, I'll give you that. But those training wheels are going to have to come off, honey. You can't have training wheels on your bike forever. I know, I know. So, Allie, what character quality for you, Allie, are you going to have to show to take off those training wheels? And she said to me, I don't know. 
I'm not sure. That's her default. You know, sometimes she doesn't. She just doesn't want to talk about it because she knows you're getting ready to talk to her about something. <laughs> and I said, well, let me help you out. You're going to have to obey? Thanks a minute. She's so cute. No, no, don't have to obey. No, don't have to obey. I've seen some of her little qualities that I know she knows. So I said, uh, you're going to have to be diligent? Well, no, not really. Not not to take off your training wheels. That doesn't really quite that. What about courage, Allie? You're going to have to show courage? She thinks a minute. And I said, isn't courage kind of you're afraid to do this because you're afraid to ride that bike with that training wheels? And when you do, you're going to show courage. Yes. She says, I will be courageous. I said, absolutely, you will. So the day those training will go, go off, we will hallelujah because Allie is courageous. So you see, it, it, it doesn't always have to be formal. It's just a lot of little things that make up the day. You can talk about something mommy was afraid of today. It can be whatever. And they can, you know, see you do it. Um, when my, one of my boys, when he was in fifth grade, wanted to play football. And um, I didn't ever want my boys to play football. Fought it tooth and nail. Gave them tennis lessons, golf lessons. I mean, you name it. I gymnastics. I was just, you know, I kept saying, hit that tennis ball. But no, all their friends were going to play football. So we thought, okay, we gave in. And being a little unorganized, I was like getting his application in for the team. And so lo and behold, he had been assigned to an all-Afro-American team. He was the only white boy on it. And I drove down. I was like, oh, my gosh. And I drove down to this park and dropped him off. And about the second practice, he gets in the car. I'll never forget it. It's still a memory in my mind. And he's got a bruise on his arm, a bruise under his cheek. He looks like he got the tar beat out of it. And, in fact, he did. They had played a little game called Bull in the Ring. And he was the bull, and they were the ring, and he was to defend himself. Well, he'd never played football in his life, and these kids were good. Two of them went on to play for the University of Texas, and they proceeded to just knock the snot out of him. And I just thought, oh, my gosh. And he wasn't particularly athletic, and um, he wasn't fast. And I just thought, he is just going to, it's just going to be, this is a disaster. I knew he shouldn't have played football. I knew it was a horrible sport. And so um, we went home, and I said, sweetheart, you do not have to play football ever again. And you don't have to go back. Oh, thank goodness. So we went home, and we happened to tell his father that he'd quit football. And uh, you've gotten a picture of my husband, and so, you know, that didn't exactly go over. And so he said, Donovan, we're going to talk. And he said, now, Donovan, you talked me into this. You were convinced this is what you wanted to do. Yes, sir. Um, I don't care if you ever pick up another football helmet in your life, but you're going to go down there, and you're going to finish the season. And he, oh, God, no, Daddy, no. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He'll die. But, you know, he said he won't die. He may get tar beat out of him, but he'll be all right. So off I went, sent him back to practice next week. And all of a sudden, when I drove up, he's down there, all these little boys around him, and he's the quarterback. And the coach said to me, I said, how did this happen? And he said, I tell you what, he can't run, and he's not quick, but man, he can learn those plays. <laughs> and he, he can remember everything. And not only can he remember, he's a great, he's so patient, and he's good with these guys. And he had little Dion, he wrote L on one shoe and R on the other, and he used to tell him, Dion, I'm going to give you that ball, and when I give you that ball, you're going to go left. And when you go left, you're going to make a touchdown. 
And do you know that season they went into the season city championship and there was my little boy down there taking that team down the field. And he went on to be a very, very good football player. I lost that battle. All five of mine played football and two in college. And so I, you know, I gave up. I, I didn't do very good. But, but I did support them. They would tell you that they would get in a huddle in high school. Literally, this is true. And they would hear. They would say, I was the biggest cheer. Go, kill them, kill them. You know, and, uh, and I would rock the whole time. And then they'd get up to make the play, and I'd be like, kill them, kill them. People laughed at me in the stands. And Donovan said, I remember Chase or one of them said, Mom, the team would go before we called the play. Your mom's here. And um, I was notorious for some of the things I did while they played football. Um, I'm going to leave you today. I think I've talked almost long enough. You're probably exhausted. Um, how can you do these things? These are hard things. This are, You have a great task in front of you. You can only do these things if your children are not your idols. I know that as every mother knows, it is very hard for a child not to be your idol. There's nothing like a mother's heart. My kids are 32, and he, my oldest is 29. 20. They, I love them like when they were two. Now, I don't interact with them like they were two, but I love them just like that. And I'm a mother, and I'm a tiger mother too. But we have to work very hard and not letting them occupy the place in our hearts that God does and should. Otherwise, you will cripple them. You will not have the courage to raise them the way they need to be raised. Let me ask you some questions that I wish somebody had asked me. Your experience will be different. Your journey will be different than mine. But what you need to know is that your children will face difficult times ahead. There is a battle right now in this country for the heart and soul of our country. There is a battle for the heart and soul of your child. Ask yourself, are you, Mary, Jenny, whoever you are, are you willing for your child to take a principled stand that will cost him his popularity and favor with his peers? I did. I had to look one of my boys. Boy, it was tough in college. To answer God's call on his life with great sacrifice to himself and his wife that could possibly cost him his life. To suffer loneliness because he did not follow the crowd. That's a hard one, y'all. That is really hard. To persevere in a difficult situation when it is both physically and mentally hard. I just can't encourage you enough to really take a look at yourselves. Is Christian parenting most of the things that are emphasized are what you don't do, what we don't wear, what we don't say? That is a very small, small part of being a good parent. The larger part of it, ladies, is what you do and what you say. I want to leave you with a, a, a verse, and it is one of my favorites, and I think it is true. The father of a righteous son has great joy. Um, He delights in him. And may the mother who gave him birth rejoice. There is nothing that blesses your heart more than when your child sets sail and leaves your home. That he sets his course in a direction that is following the Lord and the purpose that the Lord has for his life. There is nothing that causes more pain than to watch a child go south. 
as he lets go of things that you know would guide and direct him. That is a difficult thing. So do your job. Do it well. Know that God is gracious. And you will never do it perfectly. Like I said, there are more mistakes I made than I can count. And yet God was good. And he was gracious. And I had been very blessed. My boys had bought me great joy. And um, my husband has rejoiced. Thank you for the privilege and honor it has been to be with you today. Yeah, sorry. Um, this is just a little exercise I got. How many of y'all got this? It's George Washington's prayer journal. And you may think, why, why would she give me this? Did anybody not get it? Okay, well, I'm just going to start here and we'll just pass it around. What I want you to do, this I found this week. It's very interesting. It is George Washington. It is a prayer that he prayed before he went into battle. Hold your hand up. Hold your hand up. Um, go through this prayer. I want you to look at it. This is the founding father of our country, and I want you to see what kind of man we had as a founding father. Go through it. Circle the same. See how many character qualities you can identify in this prayer. Good good exercise for you guys. And realize this is who we had. These were our leaders and these are the things they thought about. It is really interesting. And um, it'll be a good exercise to see how many things you can identify. Thank you. Okay. I know my on. Thank you so much, Polly. You're my welcome. goodness. It's just overwhelming to listen to everything that you share. Just, oh, um, well, I was you. telling Polly earlier I don't have little ones anymore, but um, and, and this morning I was wishing I did because you can look back and you just don't yes. want to have any regrets about what you're doing. So I would just encourage you with what she said. Ladies, this is a season, and I know when you're in it, you're thinking they have no idea what they're talking about. They don't remember how hard it is and all these things. But it is a season, and it is short, and you will blink and they will be setting sail. And the older they get, mine are 14 and 16, and I can, you can just become gripped with fear, thinking my 16-year-old is going to be leaving. Mm. And have I, have I have done I, everything I need to do? So just, um, you know, and it's not about making them happy. And it's not about being happy yourself. Just dig deep, ladies, and hang in there. And that's what this ministry's for. Come get tools. Come get encouraged. Come and, you know... Reach out to the one of the mentor moms if you need um, encouragement. That's what we're here for. So, all right. Does anybody have any questions for Polly? I'm sure we do. All right. Um, I'd heard that before about um, that we educate our children, especially our boys, too early and um, to their detriment. Did you see your boys struggle at all when they did enter school so late? Mm-mm. No, not, not in the least. In fact, I didn't teach them their letters anything until they were almost six. And they learned it in a month. I mean, they just played and ran, and they were just little boys. And, um, you know, they, they, they did. In fact, they did very, very well. Um, I got a call from the headmaster of the little private school because she wouldn't let Donovan in when I first interviewed him. And, and she said, well, he hadn't been to the preschool, and then this all foundational. And I said, well, do me a favor. Test him. And if he can't get in, I'll understand but if he passed the test, will you let him in? And he did. 
and he did extremely well and she said from that point on none of my boys went through her little program that she <laughs> said they had to and she lived my land <laughs> and they did they did real well they did fine and I would just add to that I mean any, anybody can teach your child the alphabet yeah how many how many people at school are, are working on these character qualities poly outline that that's your call ladies so all right question oh come on uh, what would you say is your biggest regret if you could do anything differently? Oh, God, I have so many. Um, I, I, I think one of my biggest regrets is when I was where you were, I just sometimes felt exactly like Holly said, you know, I, I'm drowning here. And to, uh, to really, I'll tell you a great story. My fifth one, by the time he was two, was I was exhausted. I really was. And um, he was a brat. And um, one of my friends called me on the phone, and I was talking to her, and he was back in the background. This is Chase. Father, father, just screaming and, and, you know, just having fit. And and she said, I'll never forget it. She goes, what's happened to you? You used to be a good mother. (laughs) She did. She said this. She said, put down that phone and go spank him. He's out of control. (laughs) So, yeah. And so I just remember thinking, I'm losing this. You know, this is terrible. So um, one thing I would say, and I didn't say this in the talk, um, take time to feel yourself. And that doesn't necessarily mean, um, you know, go read your Bible for an hour. I I do advocate. But it can mean a great workout class. It can mean a a book, a novel that you just want to read. You know, we do need to feel ourselves. And, And... it, it can be a date with your husband, whatever it is. I, I loved hip hop dance, and I and I just my boys, I just danced and danced and had so much fun. And when they were little bitty, I couldn't get to the hip hop dance. So Cindy Halfolder and I would get our little uh, car seats and put our babies, line them up, and um, put them in the den, and we would put on Jane Fonda's workout tape. And we would, and when we couldn't do that, we would do a guy named Gerard at 9.30, and Cindy would call me about 9.15, are you going to do Gerard at 9.30? Yep, I am. And y'all, just that simple little thing fueled me. And then on uh, other mornings, uh, Cindy and I would meet two mornings a week at 5.30 in the morning. And we would go jog. And we were always pregnant on alternate years. So one of us was like, I can't do it. And the other would be like, oh, yes, you can. And knowing somebody's going to be there at 5.30 really helped. So there were things like that that, that kind of, you know, lightened the day. And lightened. And after I did my hip-hop class, I came home. I was so happy. So that, that was a better mother. <laughs> exactly what my question is except to say that so often when I go to talks like this the people who are speaking have a lot of kids and so it's like they have their own little school or daycare in their house and I have an only child and he will only be an only child and so I feel like we do have to go out and go to some group activities or something because otherwise it's just the two of us and like right now his dad's on an 11 day business trip to India I mean and he's gone a lot so I'm like a single mother and it's just oh, the two yeah. of us. So I feel like I'm educating him and we're doing stuff, but I also don't want to just be lecturing, not, not lecturing, but like yeah. to keep it fun. And so we choose our friends wisely and make sure we're around other people who are similarly educated. But I feel like it is good for him to go to school, to be around some other people besides me. Yes. <laughs> and and, and his sole playmate. <laughs> that, that is a great question. And... and 
gosh, you know, that's hard for me to answer since I did have so many children, and you're right. Um, what I will, huh? Yes. Right. Yeah, that that that's a great question. What I would say to that is. Um, they do need friends, and you're right. They do need to be socialized. But Chase was the only one at home when all the others left. And every day it was just me and Chase. And, um, yes, he did have his brothers, but by then they were all in their own little activities, so they weren't particularly interested in him to begin with. And um, so uh, I would say just watch how much time you put him in that school. And, and you know, they're going to be fine. You know, you say, oh, he's lonely. Well, you know, he'll be all right. I'm telling you. Um, they, the reason I'm not a big proponent or fan, and that's, there again, it is just me. It doesn't have to mean it's right for everybody else. But children at a very young age, it's like putting a saddle on a colt. If you put them a lot with their peers, and peers can be, even starting at four, can be mean. That can greatly affect a little child. They're not able to handle someone calling them names. You know, when they're a little older, they can do a little better with that. And so I kind of sheltered them from things that I thought wouldn't necessarily be helpful to them and made them a little older so they could kind of, when little somebody was a bully to them, they could handle a little bit better than when they were four, or especially with little girls. Little girls can be very, very mean. And... Um, so that was kind of my rationale, you know. I just wanted them to be a little more equipped when I put them in that schoolroom setting because there are 20 of them and there's one teacher. And so that's what I would say. And, and what we did, we did things like park day. Um, we organized a group of mothers and, and kids with kindergartners and, and, you know, did things like that. And then I'd have their friends over when they got home from school. And... Um, so it, 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 I just didn't worry about that too much. People did that a lot. They're going to be lonely. I can't tell you how many pushback I got because my kids were the only one at that time staying home. And people thought I was kind of crazy. I mean, that and a few other things I did. But um, um, they really did. So, and they kept saying, when they went to an all-boys school, I remember saying, well, they'll never, don't do that. They'll never you know, girls. I mean, you know, they're just going to be dorks. And and, I was, and you know, in my mind, I'd go, God, maybe they are. You know, and uh, and oh, they're going to be so awkward with girls. And yeah, they probably were. But as you can see, they did just fine. And uh, they eventually got onto the girl thing. Now, you know, that's okay. You know, some things that our society says you've got to do them. Think. All my question is. Think through it. Before you buy into all the things that we're supposed to do to have these great children, God gave you your children. He didn't give them to a school or, you know, all these things are great things, but they're yours. And so uh, they will never be two again. He'll never be three or four or five. And by the time they're six, they're, they, they start. They're, they're, you've launched them in a very little way. So the, this, these years go very quickly. They'll never be. They'll never come this way again. Enjoy it. I, I, that's what I would do over. I wish I had enjoyed it more. Someone had encouraged me and said, "Oh, Polly, this is the best time because you see, everything is under your control. Not a bad thing. <laughs> you know, you fight, begin to fight battles as they get out of you know 
your peers, their peers, you know, whatever. But right now, when you turn out that light at night, they're in their little beds, and you've orchestrated everything. And that's a great, great place to be because it won't last very long. I'll tell you that. Any other questions? Okay, I want to get your opinion on something. Since you had five boys in your house, what do you do about the whole boys want to throw each other on the ground and wrestle and all this kind of stuff? I mean, my mother instinct, especially with my 14-year-old, is like, oh, no, he's going to get hurt or whatever. What, what is your take on that? Um, I literally had a carpenter or a handyman that patched holes in my wall. <laughs> and um, because I had many, many holes that the boys would wrestle. I had a size of a bowling ball, one of their little bodies went through, went through the wall because they wrestled. When they got older, I, I said either take it outside or sometimes, especially in the high school years, their wrestling turned into fighting. And so, you know... Um, I, I was careful about that when they got older. But just wrestling and having fun. Boys are always, I mean, Christy will tell you, Donovan is standing over here at this church a couple of weeks ago. His little brother, Jordan, comes up. Hey, Donovan. And, and they're doing this knee thing, you know, and in the middle of the church. This is what boys do. And, in fact, Jordan came home and he pulled up his pants. And he wasn't, he didn't live with this patient. And there was a big bruise. And I said, how'd you get that, Donovan? And I were knocking knees. You know, 31, 26, something. Okay, well, whatever. You know, now you're it's to your own peril. I can't worry about it if you need ACL repair. Um, so I wouldn't, you know, that's just boys are going to wrestle. But be very careful. One, take it out. And two, if it turns into a fight, that's the end of the wrestling for now. World of Wisdom sitting on the stool up front. No. Anyone? Questions? Okay. Annie. Do you? <laughs> this is really specific, but I have a two-and-a-half-year-old girl, and she is so strong-willed that she stopped taking naps past two weeks she's had one nap. Can you speak a little louder? Yeah, and um, I, I, okay, sorry. Um, I have a two and a half year old girl and she stopped taking naps about two weeks ago. Right. And I don't know what to do. Like, she's so strong-willed. I'll, I'll put her in her bed. She gets up, I give her spanking. I warn her first and then I give her spanking, put her back in her bed. She gets out two minutes later and we do this for two hours. I don't know what to do. As long as it takes. So do I just leave her in there? I mean, keep her in there till like, till bedtime kind of thing? I mean, it's like, you have a great time. Where to stop and and find what? What? Well, and I and I mean, it gets to a point where I spank her ten times every day, like during nap time. And she runs for me, no bacon, no bacon, no bacon. But, like, I don't, I don't know how to get her. I mean, and, it's, and I'm consistent. I, I don't know what else to do. And she is strong-willed. Wow. She is very, very, very strong-willed. Well, what the idea is, you need to think of a way you can compromise and still win the battle. So probably at two and a half, she probably needs a nap. But what I would say to her is she in a crib or what? She's in a she's bed. She's in a bed, she said. Okay, so she's in a bed. Christy, didn't you go through this a little bit with Allie? Yeah. She was older. How long do you let it go on is what she said. I, I would say as long as it takes. You need to win this. 
because if she does, think the next, it's just going to be something else. You know, I think try to, you know, do books and, but that one, physically, a two and a half year old needs rest time. They just do. I mean, she cannot dictate her schedule and that's what she's trying to do. So for her own physical benefit, she needs to. She needs to rest. And so you can say, here's some books or here's some little puzzles or whatever she likes, and, and but she's staying in that bed. And then if she wants, I could get a little rail and say, I'm going to rip. You know, you're going back to the crib. I mean, really, I would just say, we'll, we'll go back to the crib. If you can't act like a big girl, then, then mommy's going to have to put you in the crib. But I, it's, it's that whole age-old thing. you got to battle. You need to win it. And she needs to know who's in charge. She really does. And so as long as it takes. And it may, it may be a four or five days of a really hard slugfest. But at the end, that's okay. I mean, she's strong-willed. But if you can't do this at two and a half, what are you going to do when she's six? And that's important. That's what is important. I had one like that. And, whew, it was tough. So my little boy, every time I put him, well, most of the time, when I put him in timeout, he gets so angry. Like I've been telling him, you know, it's okay to be angry. We just can't act out in our anger. So I I understand you're angry at mommy for making this decision. But he roars at me, like, and screams at me. This is stupid. You're stupid, mommy. You know, and all this stuff. So I don't know what to do to sort of try to calm his anger. I mean, like, it sort of, you know, progresses to I'm going to have to spank you if you can't. Calm yourself to sit in timeout. We'll have a spanking and then we'll have a timeout. And I just didn't know if there was a better way to sort of deal with his rage almost at being disciplined. Um, Why do you do timeout as opposed to spanking first? Um, I try to do timeout for things that I I think are not like, where it's, I don't know. I have a hard time discerning when it's willful disobedience Uh as opposed to just childish behavior. Right. I try to do timeouts more just to, to not... Because you're not sure. To not, yeah, be overly hitting... Because I, I term diso- willful disobedience a lot of times when it just really pisses me off. You're being disobedient. So you're, you're being defiant now because you're pissing me off. So I just want to be careful of doing, of doing that. I see what you're saying. You want to just so kind of like hit, hit all the stuff. Hitting and stuff is... Hands down, always a spanking. You know, like if we if we treat other people mean with our hands, that kind of stuff is always spanking. But but you know, give me an example of what you would consider a timeout um, a, a, a offense. A timeout, <laughs> um, not sharing or um, just whining. Like if he if he continues to ask for something that I told him he ha- can't have, those I, I can't. <laughs> You know where you put all the stuff. Well, not let, let me. Okay, let's take those two. Not sharing. How old is he? He's almost four this July. Um, probably that I would just kind of pass by. I mean, I wouldn't pick that battle. You know, he's four. You know, I'd say, um, you know, do your character quality and say, okay. you know, make it kind of sway on the positive. We're working on sharing this week, and I bet you can do it. You know, and let's see, and you know, and Mommy's gonna have something that he wants, and say, "Do you want me to share with you?" Uh huh. Okay, here. Can you do that? Can you can you do that with Walter? You know, something that kind of works positively against negatively. But um, whining, I just think. I mean, kids whine. You got to say, "Are they hungry? Are they tired?" You know, be real careful. But but if it's if it's a, can I have that pretzel? No, not where it's too near to. Can I have that pretzel? You know, and you know this is just a matter of their will versus your will. I'd spank them. 
And and when he calls you stupid that night, boy, I'd spank him until he whimpered. I mean, there'd be none of that. And I, and 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 so, like throwing toys or something like that. Spanking. Spanking. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's just totally not not so okay. The roaring of spanking. <laughs> It's what? The roaring. Like, he put a time out, he gets really pissed off, and he'll just go. To my face. So, yeah. So he roars. He roars. He says he's lying and that's mean and he'll roar. The little brothers picked it up too. It's great fun. Is roaring a spanking? Um... You know, I think sometimes you just have to look at the intent behind if it's just outright rage. Yeah. I mean, if it's just him kind of blowing off, you know, some of his little baby, what I call baby anger, I just say if you keep roaring, then uh, mommy will spank because we don't roar because your little brother's picking it up. So if you want to... um, like that. That's fine. Okay. But if he goes, my mommy will have the. And I had a, a love rod. Okay. And I called it the love rod. And it hung in our kitchen. I had one in my purse. And I had a little. And I even labeled it love rod. Mommy will do the love rod. And it. They did not like the love rod. And that usually they feared that spanking. And you got to make spanking something that. Um, you know. Well, if it doesn't hurt him, it ain't gonna teach him. Oh, no, I'm Yeah. Oh, sorry. If I give him an acceptable option, if I say, Penny, it is acceptable for you to stomp your feet. Stomp your feet. If you're angry, if you're frustrated, stomp your feet. So now he's stomping his feet, and I'm like, well, gosh, if if I've given him acceptable behaviors instead of, you know, just don't do that, then what do you do? So, try an option. Okay, I have a roar because my love boy loves dinosaurs and lions, and he roars at me too. And so, what I tell him for disrespect and willful disobedience or immediate spankings in my house, and yes. when he roars at me in anger, no, a roar because he's mad at what I've done. That's disrespectful in my book. So I send him to time out to calm down. I say, go to your chair till you collect yourself. And then I usually give him a minute or two, and then I walk in there, and I tell him, hey, baby, you roared at Mommy in anger, didn't you? And he'll go, yes, Mommy, I did. And I say, do we, do we roar at Mommy? That was, do we disrespect Mommy? No, we don't. And I have to give you a spanking now because you chose a poor behavior. And then I spank him. And then the next time, like, he gets mad at me and he chooses and he doesn't roar, I say, good job controlling your anger. You did a good job because... Those are biblical principles we want to teach our kid. Values of controlling their anger, controlling their time, respecting mommy. So I don't know if that gives you any. I feel like you can identify when they're roaring, being a silly boy, that's a dinosaur or a lion. Yes. Or if there's a roar, that's like, I'm angry at you and I'm telling you because I'm roaring. So if that helps. With everything, it's an attitude of the heart, as all sin is. And a roar can be defiant. And, and, that, and that can be serious. And so if... You know, if you sense defiance, and I would spank him. Also, what character quality can you help him work on self-control? And, you know, they're again, flip it to something positive. You know, this week we're going to work on self-control. When do we have trouble? Well, do you roar at mommy? Yeah, I don't know. Do you, do you, st- even I would be very careful about substituting a behavior. You know, behavior is behavior, whether it's ro- it's, it's their little hearts. And, you know, what does the Bible say? Sin is bound up in the heart of a child.